is extremely generous, so it's wonderful. Ironically, we're going to read about giving now. So, um, okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not joking. It is, it is going to be about giving. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I found myself uh, just strangely drawn to this um, passage um, as a, a sort of launch pad for things I'll be saying a bit later on. Um, the situation was that Paul um, actually made a promise in his ministry, he made it to the, the um, people like Peter and James and John in Jerusalem when they, they checked out his gospel, that he was preaching the true gospel. And he said the only thing that they laid upon him as a responsibility was to remember the poor. And he said that he was eager to do that anyway, wherever he went. And when they say remember the poor, they were specifically thinking of the poor in Jerusalem. Uh, there had been famines in Jerusalem and so on. And so the believers there were, were very poor. And that sometimes they're referred simply to as the poor. And it's specifically meaning the poor in Jerusalem. Sometimes they're referred to as the saints in Jerusalem. And wherever Paul went in his ministry, he tried to uh, raise money uh, to help the poor, to help the saints in Jerusalem. And that's the, the background uh, to what we're actually going to read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way things will be equal as the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. And then we get some, uh, some teaching about um, who's going to administer this, 
uh, gift, who's going to carry it so that they can trust that it will be received and dealt with honorably and with integrity. Let's just move on quickly to chapter 9, just a few more verses. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promise is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Well, it's a long reading and we'll come back to that um, in due course. Just as we want to try and speak for, for less time so that we can offer the opportunity for prayer, but just to complete this um, thought of extending circles of renewal and really I've been trying to say it's extending the circle of the basic awareness of being wanted, the basic awareness of being loved. We need to know that in our very spirits. We need to make sure our minds are coming into line with that, that even we're speaking belovedness over our very bodies. And then we thought how we, we need to get this wantedness out to one another by the way that we speak to one another within the body of Christ. But uh, God doesn't want to renewal to stop within the body of, of Christ. He wants these extending circles of renewal to go out into the world. Do you remember right at the start, I, I talked to you about that imagery of us being like salt. And the salt that's being talked about is what you would put in the, the manure pile or the compost heap in order to help it break down, in order to release its, its life-giving properties. And how God wants to use us to bring renewal uh, beyond the church, he, he wants us to reach out to those who as yet haven't come to know the love of the Lord. Uh, Mother Teresa said an amazing thing about our work with the dying in Kolkata. She said this, we want them to feel that they are really wanted. We want them to know there are people who really love them, who really want them. It's not very often things they need. What they need much more is what we offer them. In these 20 years of working amongst the people, I have come more and more to realize that it is being unwanted that is the worst disease any human being can ever experience. Nowadays, we've found medicine for leprosy and lepers can be cured. For all kinds of diseases, there are medicines and cures. But for being unwanted, except there are willing hands to serve and there's a loving heart to love, I don't think that this terrible disease can ever be cured. 
We had a, a group of about 16 people went out from Wester Hills to Rwanda and uh, they were very shocked by what they saw because did you know that the people in Rwanda, when the genocide happened, they actually felt that the world hadn't noticed. They felt that the world didn't care. And so what they did was they dug the bodies back up and they put them on display. And of course the bones are now just bleached white. But they're there in the churches and they're there in the communion table where people were slaughtered. They said we felt nobody listened to our story. And uh, when our group went out, they felt so inadequate. First of all, it took days for them to go over the shock of that type of thing. But then they, they felt, what on earth can we do in this setting? You know, what have we got to offer in a place where there's been such horrendous suffering? And do you know what they said? They said, you know, do you know what means most to us here? It's not that you've come and you bring us medicines. It's not that you come and build us buildings. It's not even that you come and tell us things out the Bible. The thing that matters most is you've actually taken the time to come here and listen to our story. That makes us feel wanted. That makes us feel loved. That makes us feel there's somebody who cares. So I'm thinking about Mother Teresa's words about being unwanted, being the biggest disease of the human heart. And I'm thinking about the experience of these uh, people in Rwanda. And I suppose I'm wanting to say that uh, renewal of our church, it can't stop just with having wonderful meetings or, or wonderful co uh, conferences. You know, I, I want church to be lively and, and work at that happening. I want church services to be amazing. I mean, one of the greatest sins is that we make the worship of God or the preaching of God's word boring. It is exciting. And church should be exciting. But it does worry me a bit when I hear people speaking about our Sunday night services, for example, and you'll hear them say things like, wasn't that a great night last night? That's what people say after they come home from clubbing. It's what they say when they come home from a night of drunkenness. Wasn't it a great night last night? If things stop with what happened in great meetings, then renewal hasn't spread as much as, or as far as God wants it to spread. We've got to get something of this message of wantedness out into the world. By the way that we interact with the world, by the way that we treat the world, by the way that we serve the world. And I suppose that means that we have to think of the whole question of, of the giving of ourselves in terms of time, talents, and money in order to allow this message of the wantedness of God to touch people's lives. And that's why, and it is a bit ironic when you've been so generous, that's why we read this passage all to do with giving. Let me remind you of the, the context. Here was this poor group of believers in Jerusalem and uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians uh, who were very rich in terms of spiritual experience. Paul actually says of them in his first letter, you're not lacking in any of the spiritual gifts. So they spoke in tongues, they had gifts of healing, they had gifts of prophecy, discernment of spirits, all these things. He says, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for Christ's return. But it becomes very clear that they were lacking in something. They were lacking in love. 
They were lacking in love towards one another the way that they actually exercised even the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul is to haul them in about that and to remind them right in the midst of teaching about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, he has to recall them to the primacy of love. That if we don't operate our ministries in love, then actually they're worthless. They're worthless in the eyes of God. But there was another area in which they'd, they'd not really fulfilled the demands of love, and that was in relation to these poor believers in Jerusalem whose needs they knew about, whose needs they intended to do something about, whose needs they'd started to do something about. But then they'd got diverted. They got diverted with internal problems in the church. And isn't that sad how often that happens? You know, how much of my time, not in Wester Hills, but Wester Hills is great in this way, but when I look back to the 21, 22 years before that, how much of my time as a minister was spent, out, spent sorting out quarreling between believers? How much of my time was spent with things that were going wrong internally with the church. And how little was spent getting the message of God's love and the wantedness of other people out beyond the four walls of the church. And somehow the church in Corinth had come into that situation. They'd had all these internal problems and Paul has to settle them and, and sort them out. But now he's recalling them to a genuine desire they did have, as we heard in these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They had a genuine desire to do something for these poor people in Jerusalem. And now he's saying, well, do it. Actually do it. Fulfill the desire. You began, then you got diverted, and I'm recalling you to this. Not to ignore the needs of the world. Not to ignore the needs of the poor. And I know that these were poor believers, but I'm just taking that as license to, to make it wider. Don't, don't ignore human need. Don't ignore human need. Don't just concentrate on renewal of church life. We need to reach beyond church life to deal with real people with real needs and bring them real help from a real and living God. I don't know if you've heard of the, the, the sort of um, passing out ceremony for demons and the devil said to one of them, what are you going to do to, to, to convince the world that there's no God? And he says, well, I'll just tell them there's no God. And he said, well, he said, that won't, um, that won't work because everybody will look around and think, of course there's a God, how can you explain everything? said to the second one, what are you going to do? He said, oh, well, I'll tell people there's no judgment. And the devil said, well, that won't work either because people's conscience tells them there's a judgment coming. And he said to the third one, what will you do? And he said, well, I'll tell them there is a God and I'll tell them there is a judgment, but I'll tell them there's plenty of time. Don't, don't rush. I'll just get them to keep on putting something off. And the devil said, that will work perfectly. And many people don't come to Christ because they put on putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And how many works of God remain undone because the church intends to do them but then gets diverted in and upon itself. And the good intentions are never actually fulfilled. 
I suppose what I'm saying today is to help you give yourself genuinely, you know, to real people with real needs. And uh, so I want to take this theme of, of giving and um, look for some clues here as to how we can bring ourselves to that place where, where through us God is actually impacting situations of human need. And uh, although, as I say, this was a, an internal church thing, I'm sort of misusing this to say, well, are there lessons here in general about how we can give ourselves to God in order that through us he might impact situations of need in the world around us. And I find that there are um, examples here and there are principles. Let's look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We remember Paul, he's trying to encourage these Corinthian believers and he does it through pointing to the Macedonian church and uh, their example. And listen to what he says. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. You know, this is a mathematics that only makes sense in terms of grace. I mean, how can you, how can you put together many troubles, extreme poverty, and get it to equal abundant joy and overflowing in generosity. That's an amazing equation. And the only way you can get it is by putting grace in the first half. The grace of God, the presence of God in these believers' lives. So many troubles, very poor, plus the grace of God, had equaled abundant joy and rich generosity from the Macedonian believers. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. When did you last beg your minister to put round the offering bowl again? <laughs> they even did more than we'd hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I suppose what I want to take from that, because we're trying to cut down on time, is just are, are you a giving or a guarded person? As simple as that. Do, do you guard what you are and what you have very carefully? Or are you generous in the way that you live your lives? Not just in terms of money, but in terms of time, in terms of the use of your talents for the spreading of God's kingdom. I don't know what you do in your churches, but uh, when people join our church, one of the vows they take is that they promise to give a fitting proportion of time, talents, and money for the church's work in the world. They actually promise that. And I suspect that if you've joined a church, you'll have made a similar promise. So I guess I'm only doing what Paul did for the Corinthians. I'm only trying to recall you to the sort of promise that you probably made which the Macedonians were actually living out. And you hear what he says here, that this is how it happened. They gave themselves first to the Lord and they also gave themselves to us. Do you live your life as somebody who has given themselves to the Lord? Do you live your life as someone who has given themselves to others? Or actually, do you hold on to your life Jesus says if we hold on to our life, we lose it. And we really only, in the kingdom of God, we only keep what we give away. 
And so let me ask you, are you a guarded person or a giving person? Can it be quite pointed? Let's look at the last week. What does the record show? Have you given anything of time, talents? I know you've given money today. So have you given time and talents? To do something in the name of Jesus that brought real help to real people in a situation of real need. What does the record actually show? You know, sometimes you meet people that God uses greatly and uh, you wonder, what's the secret? And um, I, I remember feeling that when I was with, have you heard of R.T. Kendall? He's written a lot of books and he's a great Bible teacher and, and he, 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 um, he's been with us a few times at Clan Gathering. And, um, I don't know if I'll stop from getting his heavenly reward by sharing this, but I'm, I'm sure he'll get many other heavenly rewards. But I, I'm just astonished by that man. First of all, I'm astonished. I've never seen anybody who works so hard at their own sanctification. When he feels he's out of line, he's very quick to repent. He's very quick to say sorry. And even to do it in front of other people. He defines spirituality as the closing of a time gap between when God speaks to you and you do something about it. Until you get to the stage, stage where as soon as he speaks, you've done it. But I also see this, and this to me was such a, an amazing principle to see. He's a person who's given themselves. He lives as a giving person. When he stayed with us to do with clan gathering, I was out um, getting petrol and he said, um, he said, just fill it up. He went in and he paid the bill. And then he came out and he looked at my tires and he said, do you think you could do with some new tires? And then he took us out for a meal and said, is there anybody else you feel that we could offer? And then he was giving the waiters a tip at the end and um, he didn't have any English money, he just had dollars. So, so he, just, he just ladled dollars into their hand. And they looked very surprised. And I think he thought that it wasn't enough because he said to them, is that not enough? And they ladled some more on. And they were looking surprised again. And he ladled some more on and said, is that enough? He just lives as a giving person. He gives away his ministry through his books. He just gives it away. Can, can I just ask you again, is, what does the record show as you look at this last week? Does the record show you've given your time to impact a situation of real need with real help? Does it show you've given your talents? You know, we, we live in such a busy age Every, every one of us is equally busy. I, I'm just saying it as fact. I probably work a 70 or 80 hour a week. I probably wouldn't need to if a few more people gave of their time and talents. So here's what Paul says about the Macedonian people. They, they gave of themselves, uh, first of all to the Lord and then to them. And uh, because of that, Generous help came to that situation of need in Jerusalem. 
You know, at some point we have to get really real in this. We know that we're saved by faith in Jesus, but there's evidence whether that's real or not. What's the evidence? Turn with me uh, to Matthew 7, and then we're going to look at Matthew 25. First of all, Matthew 7. What, what, will, what will pass muster on Judgment Day? Well, some people hope that if they've exercised a, a really impressive ministry, that maybe that will work. What about Matthew 7, verse 21, where Jesus says this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. It's not that these things are wrong, but they're no proof of salvation. Because what will Jesus say? But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And turn on to Matthew 25. You know it. I think I probably read it the first time I was here. Just going to read it without preaching on it. Jim Graham, who's a wonderful Baptist preacher, whenever he reads a challenging bit of the Bible, he just said, I didn't write this stuff. <laughs> Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Friends, I said I didn't write this stuff. That's what it says. And that's what Jesus will look for when it comes to Judgment Day. 
So first of all, are you a giving person? Have you given of yourself to the Lord and given of yourself to other people so that the Lord can actually use you? I think the second thing I want to say in terms of, you know, just wanting to serve the Lord hopefully and wanting to do something for him in the world, um, turn back to 2 Corinthians 8. Don't, don't get led away by emotion. You know, it's, it's very easy when you... Uh, live in a situation like Wester Hills to just see such enormous need and to be, you know, moved to do something that actually you've not got the time or the wherewithal or the ability to actually do anything about it. We, we need to let our head come into these calculations, not just our heart. And uh, I know this is about giving money, but take it into giving of your time and your talents as well. Um, let's just read from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 10. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first we wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing so. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. I think that's a, a really good balance. It talks about eagerness here. So there's a, an emotional aspect our giving of ourselves. But there's also a realism here, given proportion to what you have. You know, I think how many young mums, for example, come to church and they, they hear the minister pounding away, you know, what are you doing for the church? And, and actually, the, it's all they can do to at least keep even a square foot of floor bare from a mess. And we, we heap this guilt upon them. You, you give in proportion to what you have, whether it's time or talents and money. So that's a good principle um, to, to tuck away there. God's not a taskmaster who demands more than we can give. He's a father and he cares for us. Um, don't let fear, this is the next thing, don't let fear be the basis on which you decide how much you're going to give of your time, uh, talents, and money. Look on to chapter 9, verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Sometimes we hold back from giving of time, talents, and money because we think, well, if I give this, what will that mean? What will that mean for my family? What will that mean for my future finances or whatever? Are some of us limiting what we do or what we give by fear? Paul says here, if you give according to heart and hand and head and ability, and you've brought all that before God, then whatever you give, you can trust him. You won't be depleted. So if we're giving to the place of generosity and it makes us feel afraid, oh, I'm not sure if I give this, what will happen in three years' time? Don't make decisions based on that fear. 
make decisions based on what is God asking you to do now? Because if you're obedient to that now, then you can leave the future in his hands. Okay, so give of yourselves to the Lord and to other people. Don't get led away by emotions. Head and heart are meant to go together. Don't be governed by fear of the future, but live in the present. I think something else here, and we've just read it, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. We're not to give reluctantly. I remember the last time, I think it was, no, it was the first time I was here, the Holy Spirit fell. I don't know if you remember that. And lots of people were hit by holy laughter. And that can happen when the Holy Spirit falls and people just are filled with a joy and it bubbles up from their belly and they just find themselves laughing in a way that they can't stop. The word that's used for cheerful giver here is the word hilarious. It's, it's hilarity. And certainly the first time I was here, there was hilarity. Folk were laughing, they didn't really know why they were laughing, and folk were laughing at the people who were laughing and didn't know why they were laughing, and it was just a hilarious time. But the proof of whether it's been the real hilarity of the Holy Spirit is, for example, did you find yourself being a hilarious giver the next day? Did you find yourself hilariously giving of your time and talents the next day? Or was it just a good night out at the club? Because if it's truly the hilarity of the Holy Spirit, then you know what? Despite what I've said about caution, there'll be times where you fling your money about like a man with no arms. Because the joy of the Lord is so much in your heart. So a man in our congregation who committed suicide and his sons were on the, on the bus um, the week after. And this uh, man that they didn't know came up to them on the bus and said, uh, boys, it will be okay with you. And they gave them an envelope each. And then he got off the bus. And they opened up their envelopes. There was a thousand pounds in each one. God loves a hilarious giver. You see, in Scotland, when it comes to the offering, it's the most secretive thing imaginable. <laughs> you have no idea how small a person in Scotland can fold a ten-pound note to become. <laughs> and it, they smuggle it into the, the offering bag. We're meant to be cheerful. Not meant to show off to other people, but we are meant to be cheerful. Do you need to be a bit more hilarious in the giving of your money? Do you need to be a bit more happy about it? Or giving your time? Oh, it's the church meeting tonight again. Well, who wouldn't feel like that about church meetings? But you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Sometimes I think, People must think they get saved in order to go to church meetings. <laughs> we get saved in order to bring glory to the world, uh, to God, and to impact the world with His love. So where are we? I want to stop there because we've not got um, uh, really any more time. Where are we with this whole thing of e extending circles of renewal? Where do you feel you're at? What about the very first stage? You still need to know that you're loved by God. 
What about the second phase? Is your soul causing you trouble? Are there thoughts rumbling around there in your mind or feelings about yourself that just won't let you rest in God's love? What about the third stage? Are you, are you feeling out of kilter, out of sorts with the body of Christ? Either because of things that they've said to you or you've said to them and you just don't feel in a good place when you think of the word church. It's difficult for you to go. Or what about this last phase? Does there need to be a giving of time, talents and money in order that the renewing love of God might spread in the earth? Look for opportunities. We can't do it all. I spoke about that last time I was here, but we can probably do something. We can probably do something. Look for imaginative ways to make the love of God real and practical to real help, to real people with, with real needs. Sometimes it will be a bit of help for people that are struggling how to do life. In Wester Hills, people struggle how to do life. There was a couple in our, our cafe and they'd really fallen out with one another. And in Wester Hills, emotions can become explosive. And so one of the older ladies in the cafe just got hold of the lady of this couple and said, you know, it says in the Bible that you're not to let the sun go down in your wrath. She said, do something to be reconciled to your husband. So there and then in the cafe, she went over and she was reconciled to her husband and they hugged one another. And everybody in the cafe burst out with applause. We can do something. I think of the, the number of funerals I do in Wester Hills is very few, but most of them are, are due to violence or drug overdose. And we had a student attached to us and he thought maybe we should do something about that. So he organized a bereavement service. And we saw people coming to that that we've never seen in the church before. And at one time they could either stick a flower in a vase or write somebody's name in a book or they could light a candle, not in a Catholic sort of way, but just to, you know, remember the person. And I watched this man who's got a bit of a reputation for violence and he'd come to this service and I, I was a bit wary about it and I saw him sitting there and then at one point I saw him <laughs> slapping his knees like that and I thought, oh no, he's going to kick off. What are we going to do? But he didn't kick off. He got up and he went to where the candles were and he picked up eight of them in his hands because he'd lost eight friends through murder or drug addiction. And it was the most moving thing seeing him trying to carry all eight towards the communion table because he would drop them and pick them up and drop another one and pick them up. And then he put them there and he lit them. It didn't take a lot of time or organizing but it made a difference. You know what I saw after that day in that man's face that I've never ever seen before? Just a smile when he came into the cafe. We can do something. We can look for ways in which to make the love of God real. To help people know that their life matters, that their families matter, that their friends matter that everything matters to God. 
I think it'd be really good just for a, a wee while just to offer the space, just to sit where you are and to pray things through for yourself. Or if you want to, there's people who are only too willing to uh, pray for you and you would just need to come up to the front and I don't know, can we cover this with some sort of music? I'm not sure where the band are. That would be really good if we can do that for the next 15 or 20 minutes. That would be great. Whether it's sung worship or music, whatever you want to do, that's fine by me. Okay. And just as the musicians are, are getting ready, let's just, um, let's just close our eyes for a moment. Just, there's nothing particularly spiritual about that. It just helps us to concentrate. And not everything I've said today will be equally relevant to all of us. What, what do you think God wanted you to hear? What do you think he brought you here to hear? Did he just bring you here to let you know again that he loves you? Did he bring you here, thinking of that outermost circle of renewal, to, to actually encourage you? Yeah, there's something you can do. I can really use your time and talents and money to expand my kingdom. Did he bring you here to deal with a, a lie that you've deeply believed? a hurtful word that somebody spoke, an attitude towards your family that he's going to give you grace to change, or an attitude from them he's going to give you grace to live with. Let's just sit as the musicians play, just for a couple of minutes think, what do I, what do I really think God wants me to take away from today?
thank you, Lord, that you actually, um, through us, can change things in the world. That you invite us into your kingdom, that you give us the kingdom, that you send us out to bring that kingdom. And we pray that in these next few minutes, you would help us to really believe that. I'm just going to ask that it's lovely just sitting in the presence of God. Please feel free to do that. There's no pressure. It doesn't matter whether people come forward at this point or not. But if you would like to receive prayer because of maybe something that you, you feel has just been prompted by what you've heard today, then just come forward. There's no pressure. Just come forward and there's people who will come and stand with you and pray with you. It would help if if you came, this is not pressure, but if you do intend to come, if you come now so that people know um, how many people do want to receive prayer, then that would be good. And the well team, uh, I know some of you have got a day off today, but uh, those of you who've said that uh, you'd like to pray, then uh, the well team to come forward, please.
just um, think that God wants to um, help somebody to believe that a really painful time in your life can come to the place where it has no influence in terms of stopping you living a blessed life. Um, I got a picture of an elephant, and of course elephants are supposed never to forget. Um, and then I was reminded of Joseph giving his child a name that, that meant the Lord has caused me to forget. The Lord can help you to forget. And I just think God wants to reassure somebody of that. The Lord can actually help you um, to forget. I think there's somebody else I'm getting the picture of a dripping tap and there's verses in the Bible about that being like a nagging wife I don't think that's specifically what this uh, picture is about but I think it's about nagging words just in general just feeling that you're never quite good enough you're never quite up to the mark and just nagging words to do better to do more to just think that's been a problem for somebody here God isn't a nag. He doesn't nag. It's not his voice.
Can I encourage you all just to stand? We're going to sing a couple of songs as we close. We're going to sing Can a Nation Be Changed Again? And uh, at some point in that, we'll actually stop singing and I'll just encourage you to play, pray out loud. Just to pray for your parish, to pray for this nation, just to pray that it will be changed by the power of God. That renewal won't stop within the church, but actually the life of God would spread to real people with real needs and bring real help and the kingdom really will come um, to the parishes of this land. So let's stand and sing that and then we're going to sing uh, one final song after this one. offer yourself, your time, your talents, your money. Pray about situations that you know about uh, in your church or in your parish. Uh, pray that God's kingdom will come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace come to this nation, that righteousness, joy and peace come into our families righteousness, joy and peace come into our communities. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Use us Lord, use us for your glory. So let's take a moment just to offer ourselves and to pray for this uh, country. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done.
Wow. The king has come. His kingdom is here on earth. Thank you very much for joining us today. Many of you have made long journeys to join us, so thank you. Some of us are very local. Jenny, you've, uh, Kenny, you've made one of the longest journeys, and thank you once again. Thank you seems so inadequate, but they're two words which are expressed with gratefulness. Uh, you really have opened up once again the Word of God, and you've really challenged us. So thank you for being Kenny, and thank you for joining us today. Let's show our appreciation. I just want to pray for you, Kenny. I put my hand on your shoulder. Oh, look, it's got a Laura hug. That is lovely. <laughs> right. Father God, thank you for this mighty man of God. Thank you for raising him up for such a time as this. And we thank you for the wonderful gifts of teaching that you've given to him and humor and challenge. And we pray now, Father God, that you might continue to fill his inner cup to overflowing. We pray for the eyes of your heart, Kenny, that they might continue to be fully open to the things of God. And we pray for rest and relaxation for you. And we pray that God might continue to strengthen you as you go back to your church and your community. That God would continue to protect and guard you and your family. Oh, come Holy Spirit, continue to use him in a mighty, powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.